to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Hey girl, hey, I'm Julie Bender. And I'm Darlene Brock. Dar, do you remember how to podcast? <laughs> you know, it's been really uh, kind of odd because we've done a couple, then we went away for a long time, then we did a few, then we went away. I mean, no, actually, <laughs> we're probably both a little bit rusty. Please listen, because I actually know that this is going to be a great episode, even if it's rusty. So let's work ourselves in. Let's start a little light. Um, we really enjoyed doing a video series for our YouTube channel on Would You Rather questions. And this is kind of, we're sitting in between Halloween and Thanksgiving. So the question is, would you rather never get to eat Halloween candy or never get to eat Thanksgiving turkey? Mm-hmm. That's an easy one. Right? Yeah. Actually, it wasn't. What was interesting is there were a bunch of different answers, but for me, I'm all about the candy. Yes. Yes. I don't understand why somebody would choose turkey. Turkey is actually gross. <laughs> it is. But do you eat it? I mean, you have to. You have to. So Donnie and I are planning a Friendsgiving here, and I was talking with the other wives of the group that we're doing it with, and I finally said, here's the deal. We made the turkey last year, and I don't want to be responsible for that because who even likes turkey? So can we just do a sides and desserts only Friendsgiving? And we all agreed that is a genius idea. And are you doing it? Are you not going to have a turkey? Well, because we said we have to suffer through turkey on actual Thanksgiving. So like, let's just do the good stuff at our Friendsgiving. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So if you want to share with us what you would rather either eat Halloween candy or uh, Thanksgiving turkey, please let us know by commenting on this episode 149 on our Instagram because we want to hear what you would choose. And then definitely go check out the YouTube series of our Would You Rather videos because you have to hear... Who and why somebody would choose Thanksgiving turkey? True. But you know what, Julie? I am really excited, even though we're rusty, about <laughs> the recording today and the interview we're going to do. I know. I have been so looking forward to this episode for a very long time. Today, we have the incredible privilege of talking with Sarah May. She is a nationally known speaker. She's the host of the Complicated Heart podcast, and she's the co-author of the best-selling book, Desperate Hope for the Mom Who Needs to Breathe. She loves to travel all over the country, speaking at conferences and events, encouraging women to walk in freedom. She lives in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania with her husband, her three kiddos, and her naughty yellow lab named Memphis. Most of our listeners know that I absolutely love books that, you know, Julie, I have a whole library of them on my on my uh, bookshelf, right? Most of our listeners know that I don't like books. Exactly. <laughs> We're a good balance. We are a good balance. <laughs> so periodically, I go searching for a new read, something that would grab my interest. And I found this book by this author that uh, I was fascinated with. It was called The Complicated Heart. Loving Even When It Hurts. Now, that title alone just nailed me. I'm like, that is so many people in this world. I wonder what it's about. I dug a little bit deeper. In fact, I downloaded it and ended up inviting this guest to uh, our podcast. So welcome. This is Sarah May, who is the author of that very intriguing book. Thank you so much. And thanks for your grace and patience as it's taken a while to actually get this interview going, but um, I'm very grateful. So thank you for inviting me. Is 2020 not just the year of grace and patience? I mean, we all need that. Uh, Yes. Yes, it is. 
Yeah, Julie, you just kept on, and I'm so glad you did. I was definitely a little bit like a hound. (laughs) And I also don't like dogs, so it's weird that I would say that. (laughs) Uh, No, wait, you don't like books or dogs? I know. It's like, what kind of person even am I? (laughs) You're going to have to come and stay with me for a while, and I'm going to have to change your mind about some things. Okay, we can maybe try that. (laughs) Um, Well, we are going to definitely talk a little bit more about your book, but let's give our listeners just a little bit of you know, who you are, a little bit about your family, maybe if you want to share a little bit of how 2020 has gone for you, (laughs) you know, whatever you want to um, introduce to our friends here. First of all, if you can hear me, everybody, I have a bit of a cold, so I probably (laughs) sound a little funny. Uh, 2020 has been like that, has been like that. I feel like emotionally and physically and mentally, I have been so up and down uh, throughout this pandemic. Um, So I've struggled a lot. I know a lot of people have struggled losing work. I lost all of my jobs. I'm just starting to get some back. And that was really difficult. Um, But on the upside, I've had some wonderful time with my family uh, which has been great. I have three kids. I have a husband who's a woodworker and praise the Lord, construction business is booming. So um, we don't have to worry about that. We had just bought a house right before, like in January, oh <laughs> so gosh. a few months before the COVID thing. So of course then he lost work and we were like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then everyone must've sat around during the pandemic looking at all the things they wanted to fix in their houses. So fortunately <laughs> <laughs> he has work, which is great. Um, so yeah. And then kind of on the uh, detail-y side. Um, yeah, I've got three kids. I have two teenagers and a preteen, two girls and a boy. Um, and I'm an author of several books, which all happened really randomly. Uh, I started off blogging back in 07 because I had three little babies under five and I was depressed and lonely and bored, even though I loved being a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, you need a hobby. And so I tried <laughs> couponing and scrapbooking and sewing and I was like terrible at all of it. And finally I started writing on this thing called a blog and it was like, I found my hobby. And then through that, um, the Lord just paved away for me to be able to write professionally, which was a real gift. So, um, and one other little detail thing, I guess, or a couple others is I have a podcast, the Complicated Heart Podcast, and I do this really random thing on the side. I actually work as a guest on QVC. <laughs> so for oh my you gosh, that is so cool. Younger listeners out there, you're like, what is QVC? <laughs> what are you talking about? But for everybody like over 35, and especially if you're like 70, you think I'm a celebrity. <laughs> That's um, amazing. But yeah, I, I go on and companies hire me to um, sell their products on QVC. So that's a fun little side gig that I've been doing over the last year. Well, I'm glad you mentioned your podcast because when Dar, you know, sent me the information about your book, I started looking at it and totally agreed that, you know, this topic would be huge for our audience. And then of mm-hmm. course I started down the rabbit hole of your podcast and have just really, really <laughs> personally learned a lot from your show. So I just want to thank you for that. I mm-hmm. noticed that you took a break over the pandemic and yeah. um, we did too, you know, we published less throughout the pandemic. And so um, just really appreciate your work on the show. So I would highly recommend everyone check Aww. that out. Um, but part of the thank reason you. we wanted to bring you here is because at Grit and Grace, we know that women's lives are often complicated and a lot of times that's in part because of the various relationships and seasons that we go through as women. And so in this episode, we want to look at how our hearts can heal 
even when we've experienced hurt from those that were supposed to love us the most. So Sarah, I know that Mm. this book that you wrote was about your relationship with your mom and how Mm. challenging that it was. Can you give us a little bit of backstory on that or a little bit of the story of what happened in your life with your mother? Sure. And fun fact, real quick, I'll tell you the original title now, I always wanted the complicated heart, but the original subtitle was going to be loving yourself and others when it hurts. Interesting. Um, because so many people who are in dysfunctional or toxic relationships um, really beat themselves up and have a hard time. So we decided to drop that. But I wanted to say that because a big part of the book, too, is, as I'll be talking about it, um, is learning how to care for yourself mm-hmm. Um when you haven't known how to do that. So with that said, um, yeah, so my parents were divorced before I was even a year old. So I never knew what it was like to have parents together. And my dad got custody of me after a couple of years for various reasons. My mom and dad both have, you know, a different perspective on why that happened. But my dad said he would come home and I'd be in my crib with, you know, dirty diapers and just formula bottles around me. Mm -hmm. And, um, And my mom would say, well, your dad had more money to fight for you. So I don't know, but I do know that my mom probably struggled with what wasn't talked about a lot at that time, which was postpartum depression because she would, I think she would do drugs and she would say she would just stare at a wall all day long and really struggled. But fast forward to when I was 14 years old and I really, really wanted to live with my mom because I'd only seen her in the summer. So I would spend summers with her and I thought she was like the coolest. I always said I wanted to be just like her or Madonna. <laughs> and I didn't grow up in a believing family, uh, by the way. Um, and so I just, my mom was the coolest. I could do anything, you know, really that I wanted. And um, at home, I had a stepmom who was very strict and I just, you know, I couldn't. But anyway, I miss my mom. And so at 14, I told my dad, you know, I'm going to go live with my mom. And she was in a a different state. My dad was in Pennsylvania where I lived and my mom lived in Georgia. Um, And really there wasn't much he could do about it because I was old enough to make that decision. So I moved to Georgia and at first it was incredible. I was living with my mom, her 20-year-old boyfriend, and my younger sister. We have different dads. And it was like a dream come true. And then about a month or two in, things started to change. And I started to see my mom in a different light because, you know, as you settle in, as I was settling into this new life, um, I guess edits went down or I, I don't know what all happened, but essentially I could tell that my mom was getting meaner and more sarcastic And just that she was very, very cruel. And I wouldn't have known this at the time, but she was definitely verbally abusive, sometimes physically, um, and very, very manipulative. And so if I would go to her and say something like, mom, that really hurt my feelings, or, you know, if she called me stupid or ugly or something, she would just laugh at me or be like, you're being too sensitive, or she would somehow turn it around on me. One of the things that... I learned uh, over the last couple of years is what my mom did to me was something called gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And real quick, I just want to give your listeners an understanding of that in case they don't know. Please unpack that a little bit because I think it's so important for us to understand. Yeah. The best way to understand gaslighting is, is like this. Let's say that you 
are walking um, on the street and you see somebody you know and they walk up to you and uh, they punch you in the face and you're bleeding and you're hurt and you're like, whoa, like why did you just punch me in the face? And they're like, I didn't punch you. You ran into my fist. Mm -hmm. And you're like, "Uh, no, you punched me in the face. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's not true. You like were walking and you ran right into my fist. And they're so convincing and so good that you literally walk away, not only believing that you ran into their fist, but that you are such an idiot for doing it. Like, how could you be so stupid? And that's what gaslighting is like. You don't know what's true and what isn't true because the person manipulating you is very good at it. They don't even have to be doing it on purpose. They could just be a narcissist or have, you know, whatever. Um, But you literally don't know what is up and what is down and you begin to feel crazy. And so I began to feel crazy. Now, why was my mom acting like this? It turned out that um, she was an alcoholic. And I didn't know this when I moved in with her. And so... um, and so that was really rough when I realized, you know, she was, and I tell the, you know, the story in the book, but essentially I confronted her and she just said, you know, so what? And laughed at me about it. And again, that's when you begin to feel crazy. It was a rough time. Real quick, I just want to say this. What's fascinating, um, though, about the relationship with my mom in the book is that she passed away a few years ago. And one of the things I was able to do was go and I found all of her journals. I mean, that stemmed back to when she was a kid and I could begin to trace her life. Like what leads somebody to not just addiction, but to being so cruel to your own children. And she would say she loved me while also, you know, being so cruel to me. Uh, And so in my book there, in almost every chapter, there are her journals of sort of what was going on in her own life, not to excuse her behavior, but just to understand it. Well, and Sarah, 14 years of age, let's just address that. You're Mm -hmm. a vulnerable little human. You're uncertain (laughs) about yourself. You you know, Mm -hmm. you're you hard season, season, self doubt, no matter what's going on. And you loved your mom. She's your mom. You had to love her. So having that happen to you, I think would be amplified. And as you said, the whole gaslighting thing I get, but it would as you said earlier, it would completely make you doubt you, that everything about you must be wrong. Yes. Uh, I mean, 100%. I had no idea what to believe, what to think, who I was. And of course, I hated myself. You know, I thought I was that stupid person who ran into my mom's fist. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and it was very, very confusing. I mean, the one uh, story was after I had you know, confronted my mom about being an alcoholic. I was, and she, you know, just laughed it off. I was sitting in the bathtub and I remember, um, just looking at this plastic pink Daisy razor and thinking, I wonder if you can kill yourself with that. And the thing is I didn't want to die, but it's like you said, I'm 14. I'm hormonal. I want my mom to love me. I'm confused. And I yell out to her in sort of this desperate hope that she'll come running and tell me she loves me and whatever. I say, I'm going to kill myself. And she just said, go ahead, I dare you. Mm. And, you know, for me in that moment, it felt crushing because I didn't want to die. I just wanted a mom who cared. Yeah. And, um, and so to really believe that you are just that 
unlovable and that you can't make it right. Like I constantly was trying to fix our relationship. I constantly thought I'm the problem. If only I could say the right thing, do the right thing. And of course I never could because it wasn't me. (laughs) But you grow up with that sense of such a lack of confidence because you, you don't know if you can say or do anything right for years and years that, you know, as I grew up, I had to battle such insecurity and doubt about anything I thought or believed or felt or saw. Like, is this real? Am I sensing things correctly? What is, what do people think of me? And then of course, you know, my default was people pleasing because I thought I can't, I I need to fix things. I need everybody to like me. There has to be peace. I'll just try Um, harder and maybe they'll like me. I'll just try harder. Right. All of those things. And so it's, you know, talk about formative adolescent years and being so confused and angry. I mean, I was angry. I, I had a real deep rage, like a fire burning in me that I just didn't show because I didn't want to be that person, but it was boiling under. I think a lot of women can resonate with this, you know, feeling in one way or another or in some relationship or another. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking of multiple relationships um, in my life, which is probably why I've been so drawn to your work. But in your book, you said, um, quote, if you've struggled with a difficult relationship, if you felt torn up and crazy and confused because of it, if you just want to know how to move forward and be okay, this story is for you. So I know you can't unpack all of how you, you know, came to a sense of healing and what led you to write this book in one podcast episode, but can you give us just some of those things that kind of helped you make the shift to realizing it wasn't actually you, it it was her Mm. and her hurt that was causing her to hurt you and what set you on the path to finding healing? Yeah, that is such a loaded question because <laughs> there are so many things I want to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I feel like I have to say that, you know, at 14 years old, I, I don't know the Lord. I want a relationship with my mom. I want to be loved. You know, obviously everything is just crazy. And so I and I am going to get to your question, I promise. <laughs> but I, I really, you know, what does a girl do when she just wants to be loved? She can do whatever she wants. Well, I get a boyfriend. Oh, yeah. By sure. 16. Yeah, by 16, um, I find out I'm pregnant. And three months after that, I have an abortion. And that whole story is in the book because it's a lot to unpack. And it's a really important part of my story. <laughs> um, but my mom had completely checked out of that situation. My grandmother wanted me to have the abortion. It was just such a and more confusing time where nobody asked how I felt. Everybody had an answer for me. And so that just played more into my sort of insecurities that I had no control over myself, like just um, because I was basically like pressured into the abortion. And so, you know, we're just adding to that. Now, over this time, God is really sitting in this dark pit with me. And I just don't know it because I don't know who he is, but I, he had shown up at several points in my life. And one of them was that when I was around nine, my sister was kidnapped by her dad. Uh, We didn't know where she was. My mom had dropped her off for a visitation. It was terrible. It took like a year or something to find her. And I remember praying every single night that we would find her. And we did. 
And I know it doesn't always happen like this, but that cemented in my little girl heart, there was a God. So I didn't know anything, but I believed I had that innocent childlike faith. And then when I was, you know, 14 or 15, an uncle came and stayed with me. He gave me this Christian music tape and I never knew there was such thing as Christian music. I knew there was hymns because my stepmom was Catholic, but I had no idea about anything else. And I remember hearing this tape and I remember just crying in my bunk bed and asking God, I just cried and I prayed and I said, I don't know what this man is talking about, but I want it. Wow. And, and I really feel like God was just showing up in these ways saying, I'm with you. I'm here. And, you know, just various things like that. And so I, so there was these little bits of light in the dark, I guess is what I'm saying. So eventually I'm done with being in Georgia. I'm done with my mom. I moved back with my dad to Pennsylvania when I'm 17. I don't want to be the trailer park girl because I had gotten a trailer with my boyfriend. I, you know, it's 17, 16, 17. I didn't want to be the one with the alcoholic mother. I didn't want to be in this podunk little town mm. with that that's a rude thing to say, but that's how I felt. Like I felt like it was this, just this really racist place and I, I just didn't like it. And, um, and so I moved back and I think I can get this whole new life in Pennsylvania. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows anything about me, you know? And so it felt like this fresh start. Well, part of that fresh start, and now I'm going to start to answer your question, <laughs> is I got involved in Young Life. And Young Life um, is basically a ministry to high school students that, that tells students about Jesus. And I went because that's what all the popular cool kids did on Wednesday nights just to get out of the house. So I started to go and I started to hear about, um, this Jesus and I wanted to know more. And really the turning point, I'll say this quickly was I was, I ended up in another, uh, ministry in college and there was a speaker and he said, uh, to all of us students, he said, if Jesus were to walk in the room right now, what would you do? And my immediate response was, I would hide. Mm-hmm. He would not want to see me. Like nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. Like I knew the things I had done. I knew who I was. I knew, I mean, I hated myself anyway. <clears throat> and then here I find out that Jesus knows everything I've ever done everything I'm doing, everything I'm going to do. And he loves me. And that was it for me. I mean, I became like sold out Jesus girl (laughs) reading my Bible. I was totally obnoxious, but (laughs) it was this other light in the dark. And the reason this is important to share is because it was coming to know the Lord that I could then see that, well, I didn't know it at the time, but then God started guiding me in my healing with my mom. And that started by one realizing that I had all of these lies. Well, how did I realize that? Well, in this navigator's ministry that I was in in college, the Lord gave me a mentor. Her name is Kathy Bowman. And I went to her house one day and I said, I'm emotional. I'm crazy. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm trying to have this relationship with my mom who lives in another state, but I just feel crazy all the time. And the other part of that is that, you know, I'm becoming, i become a Christian and I'm reading scripture like, you know, love your neighbor, honor your parents, and then things like love your enemy. And my mom was for sure my enemy. Um, And I'm thinking, God, I can't do that without your help. So if I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to do what you say, like you have to, you're going to have to do this. So anyway, so I go to Kathy, I tell her I'm feeling crazy, all these things. And she teaches me this concept that I know we don't have time to unpack right now. 
but it's called core lies. And es- essentially at the, you know, at the root of that, it's just that each one of us has very deep ingrained lies that we op- operate out of on a daily basis. We often don't even know we're doing it. Um, and it comes out when we are angry, like when we fly off the handle to something, that's usually a trigger that we have a lie we're believing when we're anxious and when we're depressed. And I'm not talking about like a chemical depression, but like a situational depression. And so she was able to sort of walk me through these lies of I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. You know, um, no one takes me seriously. And then of course my goals that I made, which were like, I have to be taken seriously. I have to be smart. And then I'm operating out of that. Mm. I I don't want to get too, uh, I don't want to confuse anybody, but so it's in the book, but also if you go to saramay.com forward slash core lies, I've got free resources on this. So if you want to know more about what I'm talking about, that was one of the first things because being able to sort out lies from the truth when you feel crazy, when you don't know what is up and what is down is huge. So the first way to, so the first thing I need to say to answer your question is God taught me how to identify the lies that I had believed in regards to my mother. What was true? what wasn't true, what is true, what isn't true. That was so important. And so we all have to do that because we make these narratives up in our mind about what people think, what people say, what's happening, what's, you know, and we've got to learn to sort those out. Brene Brown says, and I love this, she says, what is the story I'm telling myself? And that can be the story you're telling about yourself, about somebody else, but you want to sort it out and figure out what the truth is. The second thing is, I was then in a college class and, um, you know, my mom and I talk on the phone. We're in this tangled relationship. It's dysfunctional. I'm still trying to fix things. And we have an alcohol counselor in the class or an addiction specialist. And I run up to him at the end of class and I say, you know, I tell him about my mom and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And he said, Sarah, if I have a ball in my hand and I throw it to you, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to catch it. And he said, okay, then what? And I said, I'm going to throw it back. And he said, okay, so you've decided to play the game. Mm -hmm. He said, if you don't want to play the game, don't throw the ball back. And this is in relation to boundaries. I think what you just said is an incredibly important thing for women to walk away from. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, when the ball is thrown at you, don't throw it back. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's very very hard to do, but uh, you know, let, I want to sidebar a little bit and say, put it into practice. How did you do that mm-hmm. when it came to your mom? What were the steps you took to actually mm-hmm. not engage? Yes, that's a great question. And so once he said that, and I got my first taste of boundaries, he said, "This is what you need to do," and this is what I did with my mom. And he said, "It's going to sound cruel at first, but." It's just what we have to do. So when she calls you, if she, if you guys start to go down this terrible path that always spirals down, you're going to have to tell her, mom, if things get out of hand, I'm just going to hang up. Because for anybody who's been on the phone with a dysfunctional person, you can never just hang up the phone. Like it's it's crazy. It is true. Right? Like there's always something else. And then you get off the phone and ah, it's crazy. So um, eventually you're going to say, mom, someone's at the door. I got to go click or mom, got to go by click. You don't wait for the response. It is a clear boundary. It's a difficult boundary to set, but it's really important and really healthy if you're going to get sane. And so the first boundary I had to set with her was that. So we'd be on the phone, things would go downhill, and I would just say, gotta go, mom, love you, click. Now, at first, this really ticked her off, obviously, Mm -hmm. as it would tick anybody off to be hung up on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but eventually she realized that when Sarah says she has to go, she's going to go. Now, that what that further led to then in a practical sense was that I realized that, oh my gosh, I really need to get clarity on my mom and the manipulation. And so I made a decision to take, I think it was about six months off from talking to her or seeing her. So I would visit her like two or three times a year. And I stopped all communication, which till the day she died, she blamed me for, but I had to do it. And the reason I had to do it was because I, I needed to clear my head and say, God, what is true? I had started on the path of learning my lies and replacing lies with the truth. Then I needed to set boundaries to get clarity for, for myself and for her to say, this is not okay. How you talk to me. And then what God did, and this is the third really important thing is that underneath all of, so I set this boundary And then I realized under all my rage is this deep, guttural sadness. Mm. And somebody had recommended to me a counselor. And I go to this counselor and I sit down with all my mother issues. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm just really sad because I just want a mom. Because I'm looking around at my friends who have their moms to talk to about boys or who sit next to and watch a movie with. You know, I sat down next to my mom and she pushed me away and be like, what are you, a lesbian? Like that was, you know. Mm. And so... I was just, I, I was so sad. I wanted a mom. Mm. And my counselor said, you know, I tell her all of this. I pour out my heart. I'm crying because finally the rage has lifted and I'm just sad. And I'm thinking she's going to say, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, things can change. And she says, Sarah, you need to mourn the loss of a mother. And mourning is the process of facing reality and letting go of expectations. And so I needed to grieve and mourn the fact that I did not have a mom. Now, the caveat here is we never mourn the future because that's where hope is, but we can mourn what is and what has been. And the reality was I didn't have a mom and I had to mourn her as though she died. And it was one of the most painful things I ever did, but it was one of the most healing things I ever did because once you can grieve a real loss, like you can feel the emotions that she's not a mom. She's, I'm not going to expect her to be a mom. It's letting go of expectations. I'm, I'm not going to expect her to hold me and love me and watch a movie and say kind words to me. And that's not going to happen. And so you have to actually go through a real grieving process as though somebody died. And nobody teaches us how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we learn how to grieve when somebody passes away. We have a funeral and we, you know, have these steps we do and people understand, but nobody teaches us how to grieve the loss of a mom or the well, loss of a dad who's still alive. And Sarah, I think at Grit and Grace, we've talked about that actually quite a bit that we grieve things that should have been. We yes, grieve. That's right. We do. We grieve when our marriage falls apart and it yes. should not have fallen apart. We grieve when our child goes down a road that we did everything we could to try to set them mm. on a path that was good. And it's not what should have been. And I think right. in many areas that women need to allow themselves that process and not yes. just allow it, but actually go through it and have that grief process because that's how you reckon with the fact that often this world isn't what it should have been. Mm-hmm. Our situations aren't what was intended, and it's a loss, and we have to recognize that. That's exactly right. And then she said to me, and Sarah, forgive your mom 
for what she should have been, just like what you're saying. Forgive her for what she should have been nurturing. She should have been caring. And so for those who are listening, I would encourage you, if you are in one of those tangled dysfunctional relationships or you or you don't have the reality of a loving, nurturing parent or sibling or a, a dream you've lost, whatever it is, I would say the first step is ask the Lord to show you where you're believing lies and ask him to replace those lies with the truth. The second thing I would do is um, seek counsel, talk to a friend, learn how to set boundaries. Boundaries are not just to keep people out. Um, boundaries are to, yes, keep you safe and keep you ha- uh, healthy, but they're also to love somebody. Like it is loving to somebody to say, you may not do this. This is sinful. Like I'm not going to let you hurt me or my family because I love you. Um, I'm going to show you the truth. And I, uh, Dan Allender, he's a psychologist. And he says like when there's abuse in a relationship, he said uh, the numbers of forgiveness or the numbers of love are 911. When you really love somebody, you hold them accountable. And so learn about boundaries. And it, there, it's easier said than done for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is mourn your losses. Like face the reality of what that situation is and let go of the expectations that you have. That doesn't mean you can't hope. It doesn't mean you can't pray. It doesn't mean any of that. But you're, you've got to learn how to actually grieve what should have been, like you said. I love that. This quote is also from your book. You said, dysfunction does not have to be your destiny and your identity. And I, I hear that being kind of the um, the truth of your story. Now, here's a little twist I have to throw at you because, you know, Darlene and I are, are Christian women and we, we know what it looks like to lean on the Lord for this type of strength. Um, but a lot of our audience maybe doesn't know Jesus in a personal way or is still mm-hmm. unsure if, if he really could love her. And so is there anything you could speak to the woman who's maybe in a place of not feeling loved by someone who's hurting them, but also not yet feeling loved by God? Mm, I think that's a really good question. So in an earthly practical sense, I would say the first three things that I said are still applicable to you because you're made in the image of God. You are loved. God does want to see you um, whole. He wants to see all of us whole. And so same thing applies. Figure out where you're believing lies. Uh, it's going to be harder for you to figure out truth, but you can begin that process, you know, set boundaries, mourn losses. Now I will say that the Lord is safe and he is good and he will be good to you personally. And so you have to keep your eyes open. If you're earnestly seeking, keep your eyes open. And I guarantee you, he will show you that whatever pit you're in, whatever places you're feeling unloved, he is sitting there with you. And there is a real battle on this earth. I mean, there is evil. There is sin. There are bad people who do bad things. You know, God does not stop every bad thing in the world. There is an actual real life battle going on. But Jesus, you can bet on him Mm -hmm. because he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And he wants to see you whole. And that is what he does. He changes everything for us. And so I just would encourage you to do those three things I said, and then bend a knee, bend a knee and say, God, I'm here and I'm willing and I'm, I'm vulnerable. And like, I'm just willing, hands up. I'm willing to hear from you. 
if you're real, if you're there, show me. And he will. Sarah, I think our audience will be just as fascinated with your story as I was when I first stumbled on your book. So we need to let them know where to find you and how to find your book. And um, because they're going to want to know more. Yeah, thank you so much. So you can find me at sarahmay.com, which is S-A-R-A-H-M-A-E.com. I'm on Instagram um, at Sarah May Writes. And you can find more about the book. You know, it's on Amazon, but you could just go to thecomplicatedheart.com. Um, you can find my podcast at thecomplicatedheartpodcast.com. Really, everything is out of sarahmay.com. You can find everything. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being willing to come. I know, like we talked about kind of at the beginning, this has been a crazy season for all of us. And I just appreciate you um, letting me hound you until we got you (laughs) on tape. Um, I love it. And that really is just because I was personally touched by the things that you've shared. And I'm just thinking of, um, there's Mm. at least one woman who is listening now and saying, this is what I've been through. And my hope, and I am sure Dar would echo this, is Um, my hope and my prayer is that there's somebody who's listening and she's maybe hearing for the first time that even though I was hurt, it doesn't mean I'm unlovable and maybe God is using this to draw me to himself. Um, And I'm going to just say this last thing is that miracles are not dead. There is still so much hope. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at what the Lord did with my mom. She She no longer was my enemy. And there's incredible hope in the book. It's not that it's tied up in a neat, tidy bow, but God did some incredible things that I hope you will read because I do think it will give you great hope and compassion Mm -hmm. for others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us um, and just sharing some of your heart. And I'll be sure to put into the show notes the links for everything we've talked about. Um, I, I think thank we you. definitely want to encourage women to go check out those resources on the core lies and really begin to understand that it's okay if you have this complicated heart, um, but there is definitely still hope. Yes. Thank you so much for um, for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. I think it's really appropriate to end this episode with a quote from Sarah May. She broke me, but he found me. And after he bound up my wounds, he taught me to love her because she was broken too. We hope you've been encouraged by this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us, or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week, we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.